0: We're glad to be back with you here this morning and to continue on. And John, I heard that Doug did a good job last week. Did you enjoy Doug? And I watched some of his sermon, and he started off talking about how there's this, he almost got saved. <laughs> he was down in Kelowna, and there was a, a biker group that asked him about, do you know where you'd go if you were to die? And then he told that 59 people got saved down in Kelowna. Last week, and so that's amazing. Like That does never get tired for me to hear that, and it should never get tired for us. And it also shows us that God's working here. He's moving here. He's doing things here. And so even though sometimes we don't see it, it's great to hear it because then it encourages us. And so we're going to continue on with John 14. Um, In this chapter, we find one of the great I am phrases. Jesus says this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. A popular phrase that we say to unbelievers when we're talking to them about Christ. Uh, It's a popular phrase when we're teaching our kids, like, Jesus is the way. Like, he's the only way. He's the only way to God. And then it's also, you know, it's songs that we sing. You know, the way, the truth, the life. It's my little girl's favorite song. She doesn't say many words, but when she will grab my phone or the remote for the TV, and she'll be like, the way, the truth, the life. And I know she wants the way, the truth, the life to be played. And so it's a popular, popular, life-transforming phrase that is in this chapter. And you know what? I'm building it up to be amazing. You're like, wait, well, we're going to talk about it. But I'm not trying to talk about it, actually. You're like, what? What are you doing? It's huge to, what, to uh, the chapter 14. But what I want to talk about is what comes after that phrase is said. I want to talk about this phrase is important, Yeah, it helps us rely that when we can journey to Christ, but we are, get a promise that it comes after that phrase that helps us to journey with Christ here on earth. And so if you open your Bibles to John 14, we'll start there right at the first verse. I'm just going to grab a swig of water. All right. John 14, 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust in me. So, right off the bat, we get these consoling words from Jesus. It's been quite a ride, not only for Jesus, but the disciples in the last two chapters. If we look back and we think, there was the triumphant entry into Jerusalem. And right before that, you know, his popularity is at an all-time high because he had healed or raised Lazarus from the dead. And so emotions are high. They're like, this is it. This is what we're looking for. Then he's coming into Jerusalem, and it's a, a, this wonderful scene. And then right after that, in the next chapter... Jesus predicting his betrayal. He's predicting his death. He's predicting Peter's denial. And so now the disciples are here, right? And then they're just crashing right down their emotions. It's like my kids went in like, we're going to go to Disneyland. Oh, we're not going to Disneyland. I would never do that to them because we actually did go to Disneyland. But right, emotions are high. It's exciting. And then they just come crashing right down. And so this chapter is actually, it's all about comfort. Jesus knew their anguish. And as a good father and as the son of God, he is consoling them. He's actually preparing them. He's saying, like, I, I know I just laid some, some big truth on you. There's going to be a denial. I'm going to be betrayed. My death is coming. But let me help you out here. And so in the Greek, the phrase, don't let your hearts be troubled, it, it has this firmness, conviction. But the situation, it's the situation where it's a firm, like, don't let your hearts be troubled, but I understand what you're feeling. And you see, this statement's not just for the disciples. It's for us too. This is good medicine for our hearts as we live in a world, in an age of anxiety. Let's look, the disciple situation, the high of life, then to the low. How many of us have been there? One week is an amazing week, and then something happens the following week, and we're like, oh, man, this is, how did this happen? Jesus is telling them in the midst of their anxiety, of their trouble, don't be anxious. Don't be troubled. Trust in me. And many of us, some of us maybe, have troubled hearts today, right now. There's a lot going on in our world. There's a lot going on in our lives. There's things in our world that are happening, like, There's rising crime rates, rising cost of living. I experienced that in a fast and furious when I moved from small town Saskatchewan to wonderful, beautiful Kelowna. International crises that we hear every day. Political corruption, escalating violence, not just in our third world countries, not just in America or places that seem distant to us, but right here in our world. Then there's what you're going through personally. Personally. Not this is what's happening in our world, but personally, maybe you're, you feel that financial strain. Maybe things are tight. Maybe you're not sure. Maybe you're living day by day. There's those broken relationships. Some that are, they, they know that they're tough right now. That you're trying to mend, but it doesn't seem like they can be mended. And Then there's your struggles at work. Like we go to work and we work with people who don't know Christ and we're faced with challenges every day. And if that isn't enough, we do this amazing thing by borrowing trouble. To imagine things worse than they are. What's worse? The actual numbing shot in the dentist's chair? Or the anticipation as you walk into the very sterile dentist's office, sign your name, and wait patiently for the person to come get you so you can go get that shot? And we we get in our minds and we tend to worry a lot. And some of you are picturing that right now and having a panic attack about going to the dentist. So don't worry if you are. I put brown, plastic, brown paper bags underneath your chair. You can grab and breathe into them. It's okay. The dentist is a scary place. Don't think about it though. And so we do this. We, we tend to borrow trouble sometimes. We tend to think. We run through scenarios in our head. We, we're like, so that person's talking about me. And so we tend to worry ourselves. And so we feel the anxiety in our life as the the disciples are feeling in this passage. But like Christ said to his disciples in this verse, I want to say to you today, and if this is the only thing that you get out of the service or out of the sermon, great. But don't don't like shut it off after you hear it. (laughs) Like stay with me. Christ is saying to you today, to us, don't let your hearts be troubled. Put your trust in me. I'm here for you. I know the things in the world seeping, but I've conquered them all. Put your trust in me. Lay it down. That's why we come here. We come here to worship him. And as we worship him, as we praise him, something changes within us. It's not like this magic potion kind of thing, but it's the spirit inside of us. And we focus our eyes on Jesus. As we see as Peter walked on the water when his eyes were on him, the things of the world. The fact that he was walking on water didn't matter. He had his eyes on Christ. So that phrase means don't let your heart shudder. Even though it might look like your world is falling in, it's all lost, and darkness is going to engulf you, don't let your hearts be troubled. Place your heart in the trusting hands of the Lord. Oh, okay. yeah. Now, as Jesus continues to comfort them, he describes. Why? To trust them. Jesus is, he's going to prepare a place for them. He says that. He's like, I'm going to prepare a place for you. That if he goes to prepare this place, then he will come back for them. This reminds me just of my parents. They just, they were here. They left. They were consoling my kids. They're like, you know what? I'm coming back for you. We're going to go home. We get, we're going to work some. We're going to save up some more money. And so we're going to come back. We'll come see you again. Jesus in the same sense, says, yes, I'm leaving. But I'm preparing and I'm coming back again. But Thomas, he has more questions. He's like, Where are you going? And how do we know the way? Like, how do we know? And Jesus, like, you know the way. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. So he is telling Thomas and the disciples that the only way to my Father's house, to heaven, will be through me. For those who think there's many ways to God, there's only one way. His name is Jesus. And when you know Jesus and have relationship with him, you know God the Father. You know now God the Father. And as we read this again, we are reminded that he is speaking to the disciples. And we can't say this enough, but he's also speaking to us. He's comforting them. I'm going away, but I'm coming back. I am the the way to the Father. And then he gives them more comfort now. This is just, you just feel super cozy. I know it's kind of cold in here, but this is just warm you to the soul right now. You know, maybe rub your arms to get a little bit warm, but this is good comfort for our souls. Jesus begins to tell them, when I'm gone, that time in between of me leaving and then coming back to you again, there will be help. The disciples, they needed this comfort. He's leaving. He's going to be, He's like, he's saying we're betraying him. He's saying there's going to be denial. He's saying he's going to die. Like, what's happening? But now he's saying he's coming back. But what about the in-between? What do we do? Can you imagine if I took my kids into the middle of the woods, looked at them, told them, hey, I'm going to go be heading to Pappy's house. That's my dad. (laughs) I'll come back for you and take you there too. But I need to go and get it ready for you. I'll be back in like a year's time. And I just left them with nothing to defend themselves with. Nothing to guide them. Nothing to provide protection for them with. And I would be considered, perhaps, not perhaps, I would be the worst father in the whole entire world. I'm coming back for them. I mean, I told them I'll be back. But what have I given them as they've waited? I'm not going to leave my kids in the woods, don't worry not again at least. And so, just kidding. Everybody caught it. (laughs) Jeremy's so funny. Um, Jesus isn't a terrible father. He leaves the disciples, yes, with something as we wait for him to return, and that is the Holy Spirit. If we truly grasp it's not up there. If we truly grasp the Holy Spirit's ministry, we will find calm confidence in this troubled world and in our faith walk with Christ. If we truly understand the work of the Holy Spirit as we wait for Jesus to come, we can find comfort in this life. We won't be troubled. And you know, there'll be troubling times. And yeah, it's like we will feel it sometimes, but we can be reminded that the Holy Spirit, Christ with us, right beside us, Let's look at the scripture. John 14, 16 to 26. If you're there already, great. If not, it's up here on the the screen. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. And so this now is the introduction to this spirit-filled life. The second part of our John series has been called Life to the Full. As you can see in our wonderful work art, it's pretty beautiful, it says Life to the Full down there in John. And to experience life to the full... We need to understand and engage with the Holy Spirit and understand that he's there, understand that he's with us. Now this isn't me being a Pentecostal. This is me working through the scripture to provide us with practical application just to walk with Christ. In this passage, we see who he is, who the Holy Spirit is, and we see what he does. Who he is. We see this in verse 16. It says, another helper. There are two different words in the Greek for another. Allos and heteros. Allos is another of the same kind. Heteros, another of a different kind. And so Jesus uses allos. He is another of the same kind, specifically God. It's a reference to the fact that the Spirit is God, like Jesus, which, of course, a reference to the Holy Trinity, now, the Trinity, Trinity is a fairly difficult doctrine. I realize this, and so I'm not going to spend the rest of the sermon doing the Trinity. Nobody wants to hear that right now. There'll be a special class later. Maybe. You can come talk to me about the Trinity. The doctrine is, essentially is this. There is one God who has ex- existed eternally in three persons. It's not three gods, like a little god family. That's polytheism. That's what the Mormons believe. It's not one God in three modes, who's keep changing costumes, God puts on the father hat, then he came down as the son, but then he went back to heaven. That's a heresy known as modelism, or sabellinism. The Holy Spirit is not just this God force. That's a heresy called succinctism. It's what a lot of liberal Protestants today believe. But it's one God existing eternally as three persons. We believe in the Trinity not because we totally understand it, but because of this. It is revealed. Christianity is a revealed, not discovered or dreamed up religion. If Christianity were an invented religion, religion, you certainly wouldn't invent stuff like this. Nobody can understand. The Trinity. Christians believe this because that's how God revealed himself. Three. We want explanation, but God, he gives us a revelation. So, the Holy Spirit, who he is, he's the helper. He is with us. Now, what he does, the first thing is he inspires and he illuminates. Verse 26 says, he will teach you all things, bring all things to your remembrance that I've said to you. So, for the apostles, the disciples, a promise of inspiration, he promised to bring back to their memories flawlessly, all that Jesus had taught. And the disciples, they needed this. They were the ones that were going to be carrying forward on the work of Jesus after his death. Not only that, they were the ones who were going to be writing it down for us to read today. The Holy Spirit inspired them to put what is in front of us, the work of Jesus. We can read this scripture and know that Jesus promised to supernaturally, supernaturally guide their minds as they wrote. He inspired them. The Bible is simultaneously the work of man and the work of God. Paul sounds like Paul. John sounds like John when we read them. If I wrote a book in the Bible with had bad jokes and stories of basketball, you would know the book of Jeremy. <laughs> the bad jokes, stories of basketball. For each book in this word of God, it, had their, it sounded like Paul but it was completely God, inspired by him. So for, now, for us now, the church, it's a promise of illumination. The Holy Spirit is not revealing new things to us. Like if you came up to me today and you're like, hey, this morning the Holy Spirit told me something Jesus said 2,000 years ago that no one ever wrote down, I might question it a little bit. <laughs> That's not happening because he is helping us to understand what's already there. He's helping us to understand what's been written. That's called illumination. He's just illuminating it to us. You may think that you have never had an interaction with the Holy Spirit, but you had. If 1 Corinthians 12.3 says this, If you're really convinced in your heart that Jesus is Lord, that is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 2 The natural man cannot perceive spiritual things. That means if you have been given, spiritual insight is the work of the Spirit of God. He brings Jesus' words to our remembrance, especially in times of darkness. Romans 8, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. King David said in Psalms 23, When I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, thou art with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You're still, you're, you restore my soul. Surely goodness and mercy will flow, will follow me. You ever have that happen? He brings to you Jesus' words to remembrance in times of temptation. He brings his words to your mind when you're sharing with sharing Christ to others. In Luke 12, Jesus is warning his disciples that there is a time coming when they'll be dragged before courts. And he says this, don't worry in that hour about what you'll say. The Holy Spirit will tell you what you should say. How many times has this happened to me? Sometimes I felt compared to share, share, some, but share Christ with someone and just fearful. I'm like, oh my goodness, what am I going to say? I'm going to stutter. Am I going to like just like just look at their face and just not say anything? Like Social awkwardness, will it kick in? But I know I should go up to them and talk to them and have a conversation with them. And you go ahead and you do it. And God gives, he's given me the words to say. I just felt compelled, and I walk up to them, we start having conversation, and then it just leads into a talk about Christ. I call this the Michael Jordan philosophy of Christianity. Like, who's Michael Jordan? One time they asked Jordan, if he knew before he jumped, what amazing move he would do in the air. He says, "You jump and you decide in the air." When we are living a spirit-filled life, when we you know we should go talk to somebody, we walk up and we trust that God, the spirit of God, is going to direct us in that conversation. So he illuminates our minds in the scripture, teaching us the promises of God, reminding us of them, reminding us of them helping us to feel them, helping us to share them. And he helps us in our times of trouble. How many times you felt just weary or downstricken and you just like, all of a sudden you open your word and the scripture just jumps out to you. Or you just, maybe you're having a conversation with somebody and they just bring something to remembrance and you just feel the Lord just right there with you. How did you know to say that? He manifests God's love to believers. Verse 21 says, Jesus says that through the Holy Spirit, he will manifest or make himself known to us. Manifest means this, it makes you feel. You feel him near. Romans 5.1, the Spirit sheds abroad the love of God in our hearts. There are times when God's love is so real to you that you you can just feel it. It just just comes alive within you. And this isn't some soft, like flaky thing. Jesus was there with the disciples. He's promising to be with us here also. We can feel him near. The second thing the Holy Spirit does is he is our counselor. It says in verse 16, He's the helper. And then this word is paraclete. We don't have a great word in the English to translate it. Some translations say comforter, but that makes the Holy Spirit sound like a quilt or a hoodie or a sleeping bag. Some say counselor. I don't like that because I think of a marriage counselor or a camp counselor. I don't think that he's the image, that's the image Jesus is going for here. Like some camp counselor that's bouncy, trying to have fun all the time, pulling socks off the kids in, the, in their cabins and things like that. But paraclete literally means someone who stands beside you to speak to you. Para means alongside, callio means speak. He speaks alongside of. He is right there with us, speaking to us. Remember the word another? He's like Jesus was to the disciples. Jesus walked alongside of them, calling out to them the promises of God, teaching them, bringing to the remembrance the things that he's taught them. The Holy Spirit does that to us also. So for example, when we feel condemned, your heart's telling you you are condemned before God. The Holy Spirit speaks a louder word. He says, there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus and nothing can separate you from the love of God. Throughout through your sin, we're like scarlet. Though your sin was like scarlet, I've made them white as snow. First John 2 says that when our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. Or maybe when circumstances are tough and you're feeling the strain, like we were talking about this morning earlier, you're feeling it. Maybe you feel like God's abandoned you. The Spirit calls out, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'm always by your side. When you pass through the waters, I will be there with you. Or through the rivers, I'm right there beside you. They won't overwhelm you. Or when you feel like the fire is just burning upon you, he's protecting you. The flame will not consume you. The Spirit calls out the love and assurance of God's love to us. This is what Paul meant when he said the Spirit bears witness with our spirit. That we are children of God. That is who we are. This counselor, the Holy Spirit, points to Jesus. And that's the main job of the Holy Spirit, to point to Jesus. John 15, 26 says, When the counselor comes, he will testify about me. John 16, 14, He will glorify me, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit does not point to himself or glorify himself. It's like a floodlight. It just points directly everything back to Jesus. That's how you know a lot of places that claim to be filled with the Holy Spirit are not because in those places the Holy Spirit is being glorified more than the spirit me being more glorified more than Jesus. Where the real Holy Spirit is present, all the attention is on Jesus all the time. Period. He never wants people looking at him. He wants people looking at Jesus. It points to the cross. It points to the one that has come for us. The gifts of the Spirit are never to call attention to themselves. Always to Jesus. C.J. Mahaney, a full-on charismatic, he says this. All gifts from God, including the gifts of the Spirit, are t- intended to direct our attention to Jesus and to create fresh affection for him. Where the Spirit is, Jesus is glorified. The spiritual gifts that have been given to us to use are to be used to point directly to Christ. The gifts are good and to be received with thankfulness and with joy. We seek the gifts, but we seek the promotion of for Christ. We always seek promoting Him. And the last thing we do, and I'll call up the Holy Spirit does, and I'll call up the worship team, is he empowers us for ministry. He empowers us to do the work of Jesus here, to continue his work here on earth. John fourteen twelve says, Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. This seems like such an absurd statement, such a crazy statement. What do you mean, Jesus? You've done so much great things. We read your word and we're like, these are amazing things. What do you mean now that you've left and your spirits here that we're going to do greater things? Simply means that we have the volume to do greater things because of the people who know Christ. We can go to the ends of the world. We can go to those tough places, places that haven't heard, and we can share the gospel. We can go and multiple, like look how many people are here. That's more than the 12 disciples we can go out and share and point people to Christ with Him, knowing that He is right beside us, guiding us, illuminating the Scripture to us. He is counseling us, He is sharing to us, bringing to back to remembrance maybe those times that we can share a story of when Christ did something in our lives that connects with somebody who is going through the same thing. And so. Are we experiencing something greater? I'm being, like, what do you mean greater? We're greater than Jesus? No, Jesus is with us, Christ is with us. But are we seeing great things? And that story last week of hearing what Doug said 59 people being saved in the park in one day that's great. Those are greater things. And so we get this picture of what the spirit filled, like what our life is to look like now that Jesus is gone here in John 14. And we can experience it to the fullness. We always say it'd be so great to know that Jesus is right or have him right here. It would be so much easier. It would answer all the tough questions. We wouldn't have all these different religions and different facets of what people believe. But he's causing us. Now he can do greater things being with us, speaking to us. Can you imagine the phone line if there were just Jesus here? Like what would we would be like? The, that music would be playing all day. We would not like it. <laughs> like, da, da, da. oh, just waiting for Jesus to answer my question. Oh, I'm 1, 1,200 in line. Okay, I'll be here for four more days. He's with us, counseling us, guiding us, sharing to us what he's already revealed through scripture. And we are to be ministers to this. The death and the resurrection of Jesus. We have been given the opportunity to share of his goodness. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, we are able to. I'll call Mike down and we're going to take communion. And what a great verse to take communion on. If you are here, I'll exp- new here, i will to exp- explain what we do. Uh, Mike's going to come down. He's going to be on one side. I'm going to be on one side. Uh, when the music starts, you come down. You come take of the emblems, take them back to your seat, and then we'll partake together. But the way, the truth, the life was through Jesus, was through the death and the resurrection. We want to know him. We want to know God. We know by knowing Jesus. And so we take of this to remind us what he's done. That he came for us, for our sins, and he died. So we can have a relationship with the Father. This reminds us, and we should never forget this, communion should be a weekly thing. It always directs us back to Jesus. And that's what the Holy Spirit is doing too, directing us back to Jesus.